Welcome to Deep Look, UltiWorld's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of UltiWorld, Charlie Eisenhood. And joining me, as always, is UltiWorld senior editor, Keith Rayner. Keith, first things first, happy birthday. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm not the type to like make a big deal about my birthday, but I always appreciate the well wishes. Well, yeah. So uh, how old are you at this point? Uh, I'm starting to lose track. That's how, that's how old. Ooh. <laughs> but I'm, I think I'm 32. 32. I'm pretty sure. The math, the math checks out. I, I just earlier, I mean, in, in January, so a couple weeks ago now, turned 29. So I'm almost at the big 3-0. Any words of wisdom from, you know, on the other side? Nah, man, they're they're basically all the same. Like, <laughs> yeah, they all kind of look the same at this point. Um, maybe they won't in the future. It's funny, my girlfriend Julia. You know, she saw a lot of people think she looks really young, and uh, we joked about just telling everybody, but particularly my family, that it was her 29th birthday every year just until somebody said something. Yeah, to see how long somebody was like, "Are you sure it wasn't your 29th <laughs> last year?" But she immediately folded on her on her thirtieth. She was she didn't last. She couldn't even hold it to lie. Oh no! But I, I thought I, it was fun. I think that's a good a good call. Uh, all right. Well, we got a, we got a great show. We've got some. This is one of the biggest weekends for College Ultimate. Pretty much the whole year. I mean, and, and it's arguably the biggest weekend because you have so many top teams playing. Prez Day and warm-up falling on opposite coasts and the beautiful sunshine, at least we hope. I know that it's looking beautiful in Tampa. That's where I'll be for warm-up. And the West Coast crew is heading down to San Diego for Prez Day. You've also got Eastern's qualifier happening. So a lot of those mid-tier regionals teams going to be trying to get their spot at Eastern's in uh, end of March, early April. So this is like the big weekend. Now, sure, it may not be... Stanford invite. It may not be, you know, Eastern's Northwest challenge, but with the sheer quantity of teams playing the importance that this has on bid allocation, just an awesome weekend. We're going to get into those big tournaments a little bit later in the show. We've also just got some various pieces of news to get to that have kind of bubbled up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, One thing before we really dive into the show, I do want to give a shout out to Mike Ball and Sam Echeverria, who are the D3 editors at UltiWorld, and they have just started a new college D3-focused podcast. All right, so it's called The 7500 Club. Definitely check it out if you're a fan of the college D3 game. You know, because of how much stuff we have to get to on this show, it's often difficult for us to talk much about D3. And we had talked about maybe having them on the show to talk more D3 stuff here on Deep Look, but... It really just makes more sense to give it its own show. And uh, it seems like people have been pretty positive about it so far. Go check it out. It should be everywhere now. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, where we host it, uh, obviously on the website. So you can get it into your podcast app and check out the 7500 Club. Are the newest member, the youngest sibling of the Ulti World podcast family. Uh, you have us. We're kind of like... The clean cut older brother uh, doing everything by the book. Then you got the black sheep, uh, middle child, rebellious in the <laughs> fields, and now seventy five hundred club, uh, the chip on their shoulder, uh, youngest sibling in the group. So we 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 continue to add to the podcast ranks here at Ulti World. All right, so let's jump in, and I, I guess. What I want to do is start with some of the the littler news, and but then we'll kind of lead into our picks with discussion about the tournaments, and we may go kind of more piecemeal than normal, um, just because we're going to want to talk about the the tournament and then and then make our selections right after we talk about it. So let's go through some of the things that have been uh, kind of bubbling up over the last few days. First of all, Slow White and Wild Card. Both teams, mixed teams out of Boston, have been granted bids to the World Ultimate Club Championships this summer in Cincinnati. So uh, this is, they've now expanded it out to five teams from the United States in the mixed division. And uh, not a huge surprise, especially given the expense of this tournament. That's not something we've talked a lot about, but teams have definitely been talking about. The 
sheer cost of this year's Worlds tournament is pretty staggering. I think this has got to be the most expensive WIFDIF tournament that has ever happened. Uh, I'm going to see if I can pull the numbers up right now from just what the general costs are. And, and I'm actually I'm trying to get on the phone with somebody to, to ask about this. Uh, I know they've been talking a little bit between WIFDIF and the teams themselves uh, just about the costs. And so let's see here. It's a $1,500 team fee. So every team has to put in $1,500. This is the early bird fee. And then each player has to pay $375. So that is a lot. I mean, that means that each player is paying somewhere in the ballpark of about $450 for a tournament fee. And that is the early bird. I think it goes up to $1,750 per team and $450 per player. So, you know, that would, that would bring the cost up to more like five, over $500 a player. Um, you know, of course, that's going to be in, in excess of the various travel costs to go to Cincinnati for a week and flights and all those things. Anyway, I think that at least in part, that fee is got to be part of the reason we are seeing some teams drop out and therefore more U.S. teams getting in. Which, you know, we've talked about it on the show before, is a little bit disappointing in some ways. Obviously, the teams themselves are very excited to be able to go, but it makes the third place game at Nationals, which was so exciting at the time, feel like it was a little bit of a of a lost opportunity for that piece of drama. Now, you you as a traveler will know better than I. Is it expensive to travel to the United States from a lot of countries or are, are international teams being burdened with excessive additional expense? Well, I am understand that I'm generally looking for flights in and out of New York City and that's probably the cheapest international destination in the United States other than maybe Los Angeles for some destinations. So that skews things a little bit. I'm guessing that flying to Cincinnati or somewhere close to Cincinnati is pretty expensive, even from like Western Europe. Uh, you know, in, especially in the summertime, flights back and forth between Europe and the United States, pretty expensive. You're often going to be looking at, you know, $600 plus, in some cases, $1,000 plus just to get round trip airfare uh, to New York City. So to then also go to Cincinnati, I would guess is generally going to be more expensive. I mean, look, it's not cheap. So it's also, you know, Worlds hasn't been on U.S. soil in quite a while. So it obviously keeps costs down for people here in the United States. But uh, it's just flying in the summertime is always expensive. And flying internationally in summertime is even more expensive. Uh, you know, it's just this is a quite a an investment. But I think it's important to remember that for a lot of international teams – this could be the peak experience of your entire ultimate career that, you know, you get that chance to go to worlds and, you know, you may not, you may not get to play on your, you may not be quite good enough to play on your country team for WUGC. Uh, you may not, you may be aging out, right? Chance to go to the United States and do some touring. It's, uh, it's quite an experience, but it's certainly going to kind of cost a lot as well. And the, and the teams at this point put out uh, – a couple of the U.S. teams actually put out a letter asking for financial transparency as to where these bid fees were going. And it's understandable given the heft of these costs. 100%. So you want to know how this money is being spent. And I think nowadays is, is when pe- when the public is looking for more and more transparency from from organizations or – uh, managing organizations in this case. Well, sure. And, and I think especially because you're seeing the cost of this tournament go well above and beyond what you're seeing at a typical tournament. And that's not to say that it's not justified, but but I think here's the issue. Here's what we got to get into. I have not seen a budget for this tournament, but I know who's running it. Dale Wilkers, the TD. He's one of the best tournament directors in the country. And 
I'm sure that he's done his due diligence and that there's no funny business here. But what's happening is there's going to be a great deal of media around this tournament. And if you remember back to the last big world tournament, that was London WUGC. They did a Kickstarter for, what was it, $85,000 to cover the cost of doing some live streaming and getting the finals on, uh, the, the mixed final on CBS Sports Network. Now look, that was obviously a gigantic waste of money to put, the, to put that game on CBS Sports Network. Nobody even watched it. You can't really get the channel. It, it, it was a money sink. But at the end of the day, the costs were offloaded onto fans and people who are watching you know, from home. This tournament, they're not doing that. So the cost of doing live streaming... And all of the media that's going to cost a quite a bit of money for you know six or seven days of tournament time is going to be shouldered by the players. And I think we're getting to the point where we're going to have to have real conversations about whether that's something that the players actually want. Do the players want to have to pay an extra you know couple hundred dollars? I don't know how much you know maybe thousand dollars a team to front the bill for live streaming? Or should that be borne by fans or by WIFDIF or by somebody else? But right now, there are no sponsorship dollars, really. There is no paying audience, really. And they could go with a different model, you know, put up a paywall on all of the live stream games and make the costs get shouldered more by people who are actually watching the streams. But I I just think it's a question like, is it something that people care about? Is it something that players are willing to pay for? Because I think when we're, when we see the budgets, what we're going to see is that there is a substantial amount that's going to be going to media coverage. Um, I can say just for disclosure purposes, Ulti world is likely to be doing some live streaming from the tournament although we are likely to be doing it revenue neutral based on our more typical model of having people uh, subscribe in order to gain access to at least the archives. We're probably going to be live streaming for free, as we often do. and But we're not going to be the primary streaming company. So I don't have any inside information about the costs of the streaming itself, but I just think the point is the media component, it's expensive to have a big four camera production with a bazillion people involved. And yeah, you know, it's great for fans, but is that something that team should be paying for? That's a question we're going to have to start asking more as we get into the next few years of ultimate. I I agree. And I think that question is going to come up in other forms, not just about media, but how, how good a location are we willing to pay for? Because I've heard grumblings about how expensive it is to travel for club for the triple crown tour, uh, how expensive tournament fees are now for, for tournaments all over the country. And a lot of it comes from the benefits that you get from paying the extra, having a clear schedule that, that has elite teams knowing that you're going to get elite teams at a tournament or getting a good field site that's close to a metropolitan area that's easy to travel to or that you actually want to be at when the tournament's over. Uh, you know, people complain a lot about Rockville and things like that. So getting choice tournament locations, getting media coverage, getting great scheduling, like these are things that come with costs. And until we can get enough interest in the sport to have outside sponsors foot the bill, it's all going to come on us, the players, the fans, etc. So, right. And I think the thing is, and I've said it here before, I believe fully that people complain too much about the cost of tournaments. It, it, it just, people need to be able to make money for there to be quality events. And that doesn't mean that you should get gouged but it also means that you shouldn't complain when the tournament fee is over $350 per team. I mean, that's just not very much money. And unless you're getting fields for free, which is not a thing for most people, then you're, you're, you're going to barely make money at that price point. I, I mean, mostly people should just accept that higher fees for tournaments is a thing that we should expect and we should want because it means that we're going to have better tournament directors better run tournaments, and just overall a higher quality experience. That said, 
I do think it is very fair to ask Wiftif to say to show the work and say, hey, where is all this money going? Because this obviously is way above, way above average. This is not just a little bit more or even more in the context of it being a longer tournament, you know, if you prorated it out. This is a lot more when you're talking about, you know, over four hundred dollars a player. So I, I think it's very fair to say, hey, what's wh- where is this money going? Uh, again, I believe completely that it's all above board. I just think that maybe we're going to start to have to talk about the media bit because that's where I think we're going to see a lot of additional funding going that hasn't showed up in budgets before because it's either been a lot lower budget in terms of the streaming or it's been offloaded like it was with the Kickstarter uh, two years ago. So more to come on this. Um, Next little news story here. B Ultimate and Taiga Ultimate have merged. All right, so Taiga Ultimate, the Montreal, uh, Toronto-based company, and B Ultimate, the Vancouver-based company, both apparel companies, have uh, joined forces. They announced that last week, and they are looking to, you know, basically take advantage of the production capacities that they have and the various strengths and weaknesses. Um, I know having talked to Rumi Tejpar, who's the uh, the head of B Ultimate and will probably continue to be running the, the combined company as CEO, uh, it, he's excited to use Taiga's Canada, Canadian manufacturing plants. Um, they also have web product that they're going to be able to build out better ordering systems. Um, this is basically the biggest apparel merger we've seen since VC and Spin merged back in 2014. Hard to say right now how significant this could be, but I do think it's notable that there's been a merger between two smaller, more regional players that have pretty big ambitions, uh, especially up in Canada where VC has long had uh, a big stronghold. And it's it's no surprise to see this sort of thing happening when you've got these uh, small companies with small teams uh, and you know small scale in their production costs and things like that, you're going to see them look for ways to accelerate their growth to compete with bigger companies in the market. And one of the ways to do that is to acquire or merge with another brand. So no surprise to see that happening. Uh, I think it's a very natural evolution of the ultimate apparel market. USAU announced just yesterday uh, a final survey for their 2019 through 2021 strategic plan. So you can go to usaultimate.org or you can go to UltiWorld and you can find a link to this survey. And they have uh, a bunch of stuff that they're asking about. That Now, they've already done multiple surveys. They also did that big cross-country uh, vision tour where they had in-person focus groups basically. And so this has already been distilled down quite a bit, but they have some 10-year visions that they ask respondents to the survey to rate. They also have 10 strategic focus areas that they want to see ranked uh, that will help them decide how they approach the next uh, the next three years, 2019 through 2021. Keith, I, I don't know, have you, have you had a chance to take the survey yet or, or check this stuff out? I, I haven't had a chance to take to take the survey. I've uh, skimmed through the through the uh, piece that we had up and intend to dig in a little bit more uh, because I say with ninety nine percent confidence that they're not going to get enough responses to this survey as many as they should, and that roughly fifty percent of the people who tweet to complain about the eventual strategic plan when it comes out will have taken the survey, and like ten percent <laughs> of the people who liked or retweeted the actual tweets uh, will have, have taken the survey. Uh, so I certainly plan to do my part. Yeah, well, you're certainly not wrong. It's always been surprising to me how little people seem to care about this. They like to complain about government's issues, but they don't actually engage. Like, you look at the voting on board of directors for Dear USAU, God. and it's just, it is, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And... So anyway, I, I would encourage people to go check it out. It'll probably take 10 or 15 minutes. They're giving away some prizes and things. Um, 
I'll just quickly run through the strategic focus areas that they are considering as sort of their main areas of focus that I imagine they are going to use this survey results to help hone in on which ones they're really going to focus on. Um, This is in no particular order. Foster and advance equity, diversity, and inclusion. Promote fundraising and the Ultimate Foundation, which is their 501c3 org. Invest in and support local disc organizations. Achieve official sport recognition via things like high school, varsity, NCAA. Coordinate with semi-pro leagues. Preserve and promote spirit of the game values. Expand sport awareness and credibility. Enhance USA Ultimate brand. Continue developing USA Ultimate technology. And finally, increase youth participation. I mean, look, these all seem like worthwhile things to do. I guess, of course, the question is always, where do you put your priorities? I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up having a lot of people vote for continue developing USA Ultimate technology is one of the highest things. There's obviously a lot of discontent with the USAU website as it stands. Uh, But I hope people don't pick that as sort of the top thing because I think there are bigger fish to fry. Not that they shouldn't focus on that, but fixing the USAU website really only benefits people who are highly engaged currently and doesn't do a lot to actually like grow the sport from a strategic perspective. Personally, I think things that are important are you know increasing youth participation, um, achieving more official recognition, whether that's varsity in high schools, Olympics, uh, those kinds of things. I think have a chance to really move the ball forward fairly quickly. And uh, I mean, a lot of these other ones are good. I think diversity and inclusion, whether that you kind of focus on that as just a general topic or you think more about supporting the ultimate foundation, which is investing in those kinds of projects. Those seem to me to be uh, the ones that I think are the most important. It's also interesting. If you look at the 10 year visions, there are a couple that jump out, uh, including being in the Olympic games in 2028 uh, as a self-refereed mixed gender play sport. Uh, There's also versions about the level of media broadcasting that you anticipate seeing the role of spirit of the game that self-officiation will be exclusively used at all levels of play. So some interesting visions to, to take stock of. And as someone who is on the on the Vision Store, I went to the Atlanta event and have watched some of the videos. If you didn't know, you can watch all of those videos in full on YouTube, basically see every stop on the Vision Store, every, all the feedback. Uh, really, USAU, I think, has done a good job distilling down the kind of things that were talked about at the meeting. Um, and... Hopefully, people are willing to participate and make themselves heard so that USAU actually knows what the membership wants beforehand rather than after they make the decisions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Final bit of news here. The United Ultimate League, which is the new planned 6v6 mixed-gender semi-pro league. Hopefully, I got all those adjectives right. um, Is about halfway through its Kickstarter. And right now it's got, I'm going to pull it up and see exactly how much money it's got, $11,138 of its $50,000 goal. So that's about, what, 22%. And it's got 15 days to go. So they are well behind schedule. I, you know, I said before that I I expected it to get funded. Um, I actually think that it may have been a mistake to not launch the Kickstarter upon announcement of the league because there was all of this discussion and fanfare around the UUL and then there were two weeks and then they launched Kickstarter. So you lose all of the benefits of people talking about it and being engaged with it. Um, And so I don't know, they've got a little under $40,000 to go in 15 days. They're going to need some some big money backers to come in and help out. Uh, and unfortunately, some of the usual suspects like Jim Garantzer, I don't expect to be involved since it would be a competitor to the AUDL. I, I definitely think in order for them to succeed, they're going to need a significant investment from one to four or five parties. I think they're going to need someone to come in with 
and drop some real bucks into this because I don't think the crowd itself is going to be able to source the rest of this. Um, not in that time frame. And I, I think you're right. You know, leaving that extra two weeks, you go from page one to page six. And I think that there were some problems with the timeline probably caused by the boycott and the AUDL, or at least impacting the AUDL from, or impacted by the AUDL boycott that probably pushed the time around timeline around a little bit in a way that maybe forced some hard choices. Yeah. And I just think it's a little tough because they're only going to launch on the East coast next year, unless they hit, 100,000, which I think is out of the question at this point. And so because they're also not focusing particularly on live streaming, this just means that the league is not going to be accessible to a lot of people who do not live in the cities where games are going to be taking place. And so then what is the incentive for people to, to pledge their money when there's so much uncertainty about what the future might look like? And, you know, we've talked about this before when we had Todd Curran on the show, who's, who's starting the league, and just where's the, you know, like the multi-year plan doesn't feel like it's really there. So I just think it's going to be tough to convince people from, you know, Seattle and such to to really get involved. Um, and so I, I guess we'll just, we'll just have to see what happens, uh, but they've got a long way to go in the next couple of weeks. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm John Nethercutt, and you're listening to Deep Look. Welcome back to Deep Look. Time to talk some College Ultimate. We've got a huge schedule coming up this weekend, as I mentioned at the top of the show. So let's jump right in. And uh, Keith, I know we've been talking off the air a little bit about Pres Day and, and all of the uncertainty that we feel uh, about this tournament, but it should be a great one. We've got a bunch of teams who have yet to play this year coming out or have played, but in smaller, less important regional events. And so we're going to see lots of the top West Coast teams, you know, Oregon and Texas, Colorado on the women's side, uh, Colorado on the men's side as well. So lots of teams coming out, playing also the teams that have already gotten started, maybe at the Santa Barbara Invite. So, you know, champions from that tournament, Stanford on the women's side, uh, excuse me, Washington on the men's side, and they're going to be in the mix. Can they win another early season tournament? What are your uh, thoughts heading into this weekend in San Diego? Well, when we were looking at to make our picks for these tournaments, uh, when we were looking at these teams and and the pools and uh, the power pool shakeup, it's really tough to gauge the advantage of having already played versus being a talented team playing in your first real competitive event, you know, what edge do you give a team like Washington men over Oregon who haven't played a a particularly high level tournament yet? Or what edge do you give the UC San Diego women uh, against the Oregon women who they'll play in pool play and pool D in the women's division. So, uh, it's it's tough to gauge how much it's worth to have already gotten in some competitive play. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of questions about who's for real and who can also get off to a good start. Because we've seen some teams kind of stumble out of the gates a little bit at this tournament in the past. Yeah, and that's always going to happen. I think this is one of those weekends where a team that you expect to play really well doesn't and it can like set off alarm bells but you know we're going to talk a little bit about warm-up in a second you know you look at Carlton last year they didn't really play very well at this tournament at at, at this this weekend and then of course they won the national championship and so <laughs> make of that what you will so uh, I think when you look at the women's division at this tournament uh, part of the part of the challenge is figuring out how you think power pools are going to shake out and when you expect teams to meet each other in the bracket. So it's a uh, it's an 18-team tournament, a little bit awkward, but they have two pools of five, two pools of four. Top three from each pool advance to power pools, and then top two from each of the three-team power pools moves on to the quarterfinals. Uh, your top seeds, your top eight seeds are Stanford, Texas, Colorado, Oregon, UCSD, Cal, 
Western Washington, and Iowa State. So uh, some very solid teams and some actually some really good ranked teams even lower than that because the, the seeding was done based on both last year's results and some regional balancing. So, you know, you've got some ranked teams further down uh, like Washington. So thoughts on who you who you like here and what you're excited to see play out this weekend in the women's division. Well, as we mentioned, there are a bunch of teams that are really getting their first competitive action. You look at the women's division, there's three of the top four seeds. We haven't really gotten any looks at yet. And then six of the top eight seeds, uh, we haven't really gotten a chance to see. So there's a lot to be learned from this tournament. And there's a lot of, of expectations that we have trouble setting going into it. The question really to ask, though, is... It, and we talked about this off the airs. Can anybody beat the Stanford team? Uh, they look really, really good. And and you you could probably speak more to this having seen them at Santa Barbara. But I've seen the tape. I've talked to the reporters. They looked really good. And they didn't even look like they were at, at full tilt yet. Uh, so they're probably going to keep getting better. And if, if there's anyone at this tournament that could beat them, it's it's tough to find exactly who that is. Uh, Colorado and Oregon are the next two top ranked teams and we haven't really had a chance to see them yet. Both have had some, some good players move on, but return some real stars. Uh, I am very curious to see how these teams perform across this tournament because they could easily be in a little more of a developmental mode or they could be coming out looking to hit, hit the ground running. And they certainly have the experience on both Oregon and Colorado to do that. They have tough tests in pool play. Oregon's going to draw in with UC San Diego, who's looked also very strong at Santa Barbara Invite, while Colorado's going to face off with Cal and Washington. Cal off to a bit of a rocky start at SBI, but very talented team, a team that we had uh, well within the top 10 to start the season. And Washington looked pretty solid from all reports uh, at the unsanctioned Bellingham Invite. Uh, we'll see what they have in the, in the, uh, in the chamber this year. Uh, but it looks like they're on the way up from a couple of down seasons. So tough tests in pool play for those two teams. And I think that's going to be a lot of what we're going to be watching for as this tournament gets underway. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a game that I've got my eye on is that Oregon UCSD game in pool play. I think that that could be a not only just a defining game in, in on Saturday, but a potentially defining game about the relative balance of strength between Southwest and Northwest this year, because you're going to see, you know, not the best team in the Northwest, which we think is UBC and not the best team in the Southwest, which you think is Stanford, but two very, very good teams. UCSD had a, had a nice start. They really look good at, at Santa Barbara, uh, lost to Stanford though. And then Oregon looked good at their early season tournament, but they lost to UBC. So, Let's see how those teams face off. And if that's a convincing win one direction or the other, I think that could tell us a lot about where the balance of power is between those two powerhouse West Coast regions. Uh, I think that that game also has a lot to do with how things are going to shake out in power pools and when teams are going to meet each other in the bracket. Uh, It made it difficult, I think, to make picks for this weekend. Uh, But, you know, other things I have my eye on, how good is Texas? After graduating a couple of key players, you know, Julius Schmaltz is gone, but they have lots of great returning talent. Haven't really seen them yet this year. So how good is that team? Same with Colorado. You know, Nee Wynn is coming back. They've got plenty of firepower, but they do lose some key players from last year. And, you know, like Kirsten Johnson, do they take a step back or do they look as talented as ever? Um, I'm excited to watch Nee win. I hope we get to see them play Stanford. I think that could be a very interesting game. And um, we'll, we'll get to that right now with our picks. All right. So jumping right into the picks, huh? Let's do it. I think it's, okay. I think it's nice to do them now because we just talked about it. And we'll also quickly catch up on uh, last week's results. So last week, uh, the... Listeners and I had the same picks, uh, which was helpful for us to to cover a little ground here against Charlie, who had a two-point lead. That lead has gone down to one. 
the listeners and I both picked the UC Davis women to win Stanford Open. Uh, we had Carlton Clips incorrectly penciled into the fi- uh, a final. And we had the Cal men over Air Force. Air Force did not make it, but Cal did win their their uh, tournament at Stanford Open. So we get the points for correctly picking two t- tournament winners, although we didn't pick the other finalists correctly in either division. Uh, Charlie had the Air Force men over Cal, so obviously he gets the point from that. He also had the UC Davis women winning uh, over Utah, which was the correct pick. Nicely spotted, picking the ninth seed overall, I believe, to advance to the final. Uh, but good old Chuck, yeah, had his eye on the eye on the ball there. Well, shout out to Utah for playing well, and uh, that's my fir- I believe that's the first tournament where I have correctly picked both finalists and the winner. So that's pretty sweet. Um, upset I didn't pick Cal. You know, Cal. Shout, shout out to Cal as well. They they were super shorthanded this weekend. I think they had like twelve or thirteen players on Sunday, and they still won the tournament out of the Stanford Open. So they will be competing at the Stanford Invite. I think well-deserved. Uh, Air Force lost to UT Dallas in the semifinals. And uh, UTD made the final and uh, lost pretty badly to Cal there. But UT Dallas is a team that's been coming up a little bit and could be in the mix this year uh, late in the weekend at regionals in the South Central. But yes, I do lose a, a, uh, some ground. We've also slightly adjusted our scoring. It doesn't affect anything we've done so far. Uh, but we made it so that if you pick the winner, you get three points. And if you pick a finalist, you get one point. That means that the total that you can get is four points rather than five. So we're slightly decreasing the value of picking the winner just because it makes it too advantageous to pick the winner and not get both finalists right. Um, so we're just balancing that out. It, it doesn't change any of our scoring. The current score is Charlie 12, Keith 11. And the listeners eleven. So Keith, uh, you got the honors. You want to make your picks for Pres Day Women's? Absolutely. And we started this off by asking the question: Can anybody beat Stanford? To me, at this tournament, answers no. I mean, I guess it's maybe, but I don't think it's likely to. So I'm picking Stanford to win this thing. They're going to go to the final. I have them over UC San Diego. I. Went back and forth between UCSD and Western Washington, a team we didn't talk about, but another team that's going to be making their debut. And I'm very high on because I'm super impressed with Maddie Gilbert and think Western Washington's got uh, the depth to support her. But uh, I'm going to take UC San Diego, who's looked really good on film and in their early reports. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them at some point in person. But they seem like a strong team that has enough talent and system and experience after making nationals last year to continue to do well. So uh, I've got them in the final against Stanford in an all Southwest battle. I also have Stanford winning this tournament. I did the same exact analysis. I'm thinking who can beat Stanford. I think there are teams that can beat them. I just don't think that any of them are going to be the favorite and I'm just playing the odds. I'm taking Stanford. I like Colorado to make the final against them. I think the way the bracket shakes out makes it the most likely that Colorado and Stanford will be on opposite sides of the bracket. And I think that Colorado is probably the second best team at the tournament. So I feel pretty good about that. And so I've got Stanford uh, winning over Colorado. Now, our listener this week who will be making picks is Nick. Thank you, Nick, for making your selections on a very busy week. And he also has Stanford winning. And he's got Texas making the final against Stanford. I believe Texas won this tournament last year, did they not? I do believe so. And that was their arrival onto the scene as a national contender, which obviously played out pretty well for them. We'll see if they can get back to the final this year and perhaps win it again. But Nick's got Stanford over Texas, so we all take Stanford to win it. Let's take a look at the men's division at Pres Day. And uh, we're not going to make our picks right away. We're going to chat about this first. Uh, very interesting tournament as well on the men's side. Oregon is your one overall seed. Washington at two. And then going down through the eight seeds, Colorado, Western Washington, Southern California, Cal Poly Slow, Oregon State, and Utah. So uh, again, like on the women's side, 18-team tournament. You've got the two pools of five, two pools of four, basically exactly the same format. Three-team power pools with the top two teams from power pools advancing into the quarterfinals. So 
the big question that I have, we saw Washington look like clearly the best team at the Santa Barbara invite. They beat some very good teams along the way. They destroyed Colorado State in the final in an impressive performance against a good Colorado State team. And they go undefeated. How do they stack up against some of the other top Western teams? We're going to see them go up against Oregon State in pool play, a solid team. They're going to Stanford Invite this year, went to Nationals. Uh, we've, of course, got Oregon at the one seed. We've got Colorado, perhaps their semifinals uh, matchup at the top of Pool C. I really think Washington is better than Colorado, just from looking at rosters and what I know of the teams from last year. And having seen Washington play, the big question for me is, are they better than Oregon? And that has been a great matchup for like the last two years. You know, Oregon dominated that rivalry for many years. If you want to know about that, go ask Dylan Freechild because he'll get, he's got the stats. Dylan Freechild's got the stats on Oregon uh, over Washington. I think he never lost to Washington in his career. So the, the he's on Twitter thing, and he will give you the info. The closest thing to like the petty NBA Twitter beefs that <laughs> many of the Ulti World staff enjoy is Dylan Freechild barking at Washington people, particularly Khalif El Salab. Yeah. Khalif Khalif talking all kinds of trash and Dylan being like, you never beat me. Um, but of course Washington did beat Oregon last year when Khalif was in was in his fifth year. And now we're gonna we have two powerhouse teams. I mean I thought Washington was going to take a step back this year, but that is clearly not the case. They looked very good. Uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago on the show, they picked up Nick Roberts from Tufts, all-region player out of the Northeast. And he's been an instant plug-in on their offense. And now they got to go up against this Oregon team, which basically brings everybody back. We've got Adam Reese in a fifth year. We've got perhaps the emergence, the, the major emergence of Will Laurie. And uh, a lot of other very talented players on that roster and I think that this is a, a great tournament to see where they stack up. And uh, for me, Oregon-Washington final feels pretty likely. I can definitely see why you would pick that. Uh, perhaps the most two, the two most talented rosters at the tournament. Although I do think, and and I may be just high on them. I do think Cal Poly Slow could give these two teams a run for their money just on pure talent. I, I like Cal Poly Slow as a dangerous team in the field. If they are healthy, they often don't seem to play with their full complement of players. Uh, but I, I think that they potentially are the third best team at this tournament, if not higher. Uh, the question for me, Charlie, is about after you get past Oregon and Washington, which one of these sleeper teams is, is the most likely to disrupt that Oregon, Washington final. When you look at teams like Western Washington, Utah, Oregon State, Southern Cal, even Cal or Chicago, uh, do you think one of these teams could could uh, get in there and and surprise you? Absolutely, and I actually think it's really important that one of them does. The Northwest kind of had a field day at Santa Barbara Invite, and that means that the bid. Picture, it, you know, we haven't seen it yet, but it likely is going to look very favorable for the Northwest. And I think it's pretty important that teams like USC, Cal Poly, um, possibly Cal as well, make a dent this weekend and get either some close games or some wins over those Northwest teams that have had a great weekend. I mean, because look at this, you know, the top of the top eight seeds, one, two, three, four, five of them are from the Northwest. And so there's a lot of quality up in the region this year. Um, and so I think it's pretty important that you see one of those teams make a dent. Now, look, Cal Poly Slow is the best of them. The question is, how will they look this weekend? I know they're a little banged up. Uh, Long term, I really like Slow's roster. I like what they can do. Um, they have already shown that when they put their, you know, their best lineup out there, that they are a very talented and dangerous team. USC had kind of a splashy start at Santa Barbara. They're going to get a really nice matchup against Western Washington in pool play. It should be a good one to watch. And, um, you know, other teams that I have questions about, like how good's Oregon State? Is Utah for real? Remember, Utah came out at Santa Barbara, had a great day on Saturday, 
and then lost all of their games on Sunday. So what's going to happen with them? Are they for real? They're going to get a big test against Oregon. They've also got some other tough teams in their pool, like Illinois and UCLA. So lots to watch for at this weekend. And I think uh, certainly we're going to see somebody surprise. I could absolutely see slow beating Colorado in pool play on Saturday, first of all. I, I wouldn't mind if, I, if this maybe is crazy, but uh, Chicago, I think, had a solid weekend at this tournament last year. I wonder if they can upset Colorado as well. Hey, and they're bringing back a bunch of quality right. players. They're returner heavy. And don't don't forget, they went to the finals of Great Lakes Regionals last year. And now, they got smashed by Michigan, but they have some solid players on their roster. And, and this could be a – this is the kind of tournament that's really good to see, you know, how do they – where do they stack up? You know, can they get out of power pools? Can they make the quarters? How good is this Chicago team? And should it be a team that you know Michigan has to worry about? Also, check check those two teams, Chicago and Illinois, sowing the seeds of connectivity. Cornell also doing that on the men's side, on the women's side. Colorado College. We didn't mention this when we were talking about the women's. Colorado College was just at Queen City Tune Up, so they are the bridge between the East and the West Coast. Uh, they will be building the connectivity as we move towards the first rankings, which are probably uh, three weeks out, two weeks out, something of that nature. Um, but those two, those teams, Iowa State also in the women's division. So we're going to start getting into like some serious bid bid determining territory as uh, we start to get into the connective tissue of the season. All right, our listener Nick, he's got Washington taking down the tournament over Oregon for the listeners in our picks contest this week. So uh, he's taking those top two seeds and he's calling the upset Washington over Oregon. Hard to disagree considering how good Washington looked at Santa Barbara invite. However, I am going to disagree. I'm taking Oregon over Washington. I think Oregon's playing a little revenge game. They got knocked out by Washington nationals last year. Uh, I I think ultimately Oregon's roster is very impressive. I think they're going to want to come out and make a statement to start this season and I've got Oregon over Washington in the final. Keith, you're up. All right, I'm going to throw the curveball in here, get a little differentiation. I've got the Oregon Ego also winning the tournament. However, I have them over Western Washington. So just slightly off the beaten path from the Washington pick that you guys like. Uh, I've got Western Washington. I have some – some. Uh, I expect we'll see some shenanigans from Oregon between the pool play and and – bracket play last year they did not exactly uh come roaring out of the gates of uh, at this tournament uh although two years ago they did roll through it undefeated so uh it's definitely possible but i think that we're going to see either oregon or washington slip up somewhere along the way and that sets them up for an earlier matchup and opens the door for another team like western washington i think in most of my permutations slow is still on the same side of the bracket as oregon and washington uh, so otherwise, I probably would have picked them, but I'll take Western Washington to be the fortunate recipient of an easier path through to the final. All right. We're going to fly across the country from San Diego to Tampa, Florida, where the Florida warmup will be taking place this weekend. It runs Friday through Sunday. Pres Day runs Saturday through Monday. And uh, I'll be heading down there with a, a couple of other Ulti World reporters. Uh, as usual, Tad Whistle will join me. Watch for those back pages. They're coming. And uh, Daniel Prentice, who lives in Tallahassee, will be down as well. So uh, this is probably my favorite college tournament of the year. There's a few reasons why. First of all, it's in Tampa, which is really, really nice this time of year. In fact, it looks like we're going to have the best weather we've had in like five years as temperatures are going to be sunny and uh, in the low 80s, which is pretty much as nice as it can possibly get in the middle of February. So looking forward to that, and not only that, but the format of this tournament is completely different than pretty much every other tournament. I think Northwest Challenge is doing something akin to this this year in the men's division. That's pretty cool. Uh, Instead of having pool play, they basically create match play where every team gets to play against a number of teams that are in their quote-unquote pool, but then also two or three games out of their pool against other teams. Then matchups are chosen for a variety of reasons. 
Uh, you get like classic rematches like Carlton versus Central Florida. Every single year, Florida and Wisconsin play. That should be a really good one this year. Uh, Michigan and Minnesota are in one of the showcase games. And you just get all of this cross-regional connectivity and tons of fun scheduling things. And you get to argue about which teams have an easy schedule and which teams have a hard schedule. Basically, every team plays six pool play games. And the t- this year, in the past, six teams have made the bracket. This year, 10 teams are going to make the bracket. And so they've opened it up a little bit. Uh, and it's basically, what's your record? There is no pool play, so or no traditional pool play anyway. So your record is just how have you done overall at the tournament? It's not round robin because there's you know 19 teams. So you just some teams get a harder draw than others, and every year some kind of marginal team that's like back end of the top 25 gets a really soft schedule, and then they make the bracket, and everybody gets upset. But it's a lot of fun. It's really fun to see that happen. And so 10 teams will make the bracket. Uh, They basically have a pre-quarter round with the seven seed and the 10 seed playing each other and the eight and the nine. And then the winners of those two games play the one and two seeds in quarterfinals. And then the uh, three, six and four, five will play and you have your standard bracket. Uh, It's great fun teams with matching records. You go down through all of the tiebreakers like head to head point differential against common opponents uh, and various other lower tier things. But it just makes for a really interesting and fun weekend with lots of great matchups. And you get to see the good teams play each other multiple times over the weekend rather than having to wait for the finals. And man, it must be really fun to, and difficult, but fun to make the schedule for this tournament. Uh, you're just kind of toying with matchups and balancing everything. But uh there are certainly some some spicy games throughout the tournament. There's just such a strong field, so many intriguing teams, uh, some of which, like on the West Coast, are making their debut. Uh, others are scrappy teams that are looking to raise their profile. So between the historical upsets that we've had, the quality of the field, the fun format, there's a lot to look at going into this tournament. Uh, I've Every year I'm a little jealous that you guys go to this because it's close enough to me that I should be able to go, but it's kind of awkwardly placed in my ultimate calendar. I was all set to go this year, but then planned a trip to New Orleans uh, for my birthday slash Valentine's Day. So I'll be in the New Orleans during this uh, affair, but I will certainly be checking Twitter. Speaking of New Orleans, happy Fat Tuesday also. It's a, a great time to maybe have some gumbo tonight. Maybe make some beignets. Uh, my brother's down in New Orleans right now. Uh, he's, he had a he had a show last night. He's in a band, so uh, I'm I'm jealous. I wish I was there. Oh, I'm very excited. Julia's never been before, so uh, I have, and and am excited to show her the sites. Got some great restaurant reservations, as you know. I love to to awesome. go to a city and eat food. New Orleans, great food city. Great tournament, though, in front of us. Uh, I don't know if Tampa's really a great food city, but. Uh, I would not call the, it a great food city. <laughs> look at, looking at the matchups, uh, what jumps off the page at you when you look at the schedule? Well, look, right away, first thing, Friday morning, round one, 9 a.m., showcase field, filmed by Ulti World, Brown versus LSU. Look, that's just a great matchup to kick things off for the weekend. Are you, are got, you talking about the right game? Are you sure? I'm, tr- I'm positive. Th- these are two teams that are trying to be nationally relevant this year that have aspirations of going to nationals that have a bunch of buzz you know brown came out at ccc with the buzz and they kind of looked like trash I, I we watched them and it was it was a little rough around the edges i'm really hoping that they've started to put some of the polish on their game um and they're going up against this lsu team that is kind of the dark horse right now in the southeast a team that has long been kind of a quality program, but looks like they really might have the tools this year to battle for a bid, potentially spot a nationals. Um, and so to me, like that's just a great way to kick off the weekend because not every game is about, you know, number one versus number two seed at the tournament. Uh, but, you know, I already mentioned a couple other ones. Look, Florida, Wisconsin under the lights, 6.15 p.m. on Friday. That's going to be an awesome one. Uh, that's followed up by the nightcap, 8 o'clock 
under the lights, Carlton versus UCF. Now look, that may not sound like a fair fight. Carlton number one team in the country, UCF unranked. But I'm telling you, that game is going to be fun. Because UCF beat Carlton in this tournament last year, and they had no business doing it last year either. They just seem to play well at this tournament, and Carlton, in at least historically, has not necessarily played particularly well at this tournament. And so you get the rematch from the semifinal from a few years back at the college championships. I just love it. Those are those are great matchups. There's, of course, a wealth of other ones to look at. I know Auburn, Minnesota is one that jumps out to me as being one of my favorite matchups. Minnesota and Michigan in the uh, night games. game uh, is another one that I, I really want to see. Uh, we're also getting uh, Virginia Tech. Northeastern, two teams that had big years at Queen City tune-up. They're going to be playing against each other, but also have some other interesting competition in their grouping. Uh, So there's a lot of good stuff in this this tournament layout to break down. And uh, teams are going to be at different different capacities. Every year, teams – we get teams that, like, score a big upset and then lose a terrible loss the next next round, right? Like – that happens every year. So someone's going to do it, whether it's Texas A&M or Cincinnati, like upsets Auburn and then loses to like, I don't know, Harvard or something like that. Like that, that's what's in play here. And that's going to be the thrill of watching this event. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see what happens. You know, Michigan, they didn't get super tested at Queen City. You know, they lost to UConn, but then, you know, won the rest of their games uh, how do they stand up against a lot of quality teams? I mean, they they don't they have some they have some easy games on their schedule for sure. But you know, they got to play Northeastern, they got to play Minnesota, they um, have to play Virginia Tech. So these are games that are going to really test whether or not they deserve their ranking right now. And a lot of people I think are skeptical of Michigan. I think Michigan's a pretty good team, but this is certainly going to expose any flaws that are there. You also just get such a different variety of matchups. In terms of kinds of the styles of teams, I think that's also something that makes this tournament fun, and uh, it's less regionally homogenous uh, as a lot of tournaments tend to be. So, should be a good one. I think. Uh, I wonder how many teams will go undefeated in pool play, or you know, in 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 match play. I guess I should call it. You want to make a. You want to you want to speculate, Keith? How many teams do you think will will go six and zero? Oh? Or What's, you can also pick BYU could go 8-0. and BYU has eight uh, match games, and then they will not play in the bracket. Teams teams historically have played seven pool play games, right? This in year's past, a little they different. They have. They're, they've because expanded the, the bracket this year round. and taken okay. away that uh, that last pool play game, yes. Well, because teams, I feel like, don't usually go 7-0, and but that extra game puts a lot of strain on your ability to go undefeated. So I think it's a little more likely this year that someone could do it um, should we do, do you want to do just pick it or, or over under here? Uh, I'd say, let's say over under one and a half. Yeah, I figured that, I figured that was the right line there. Um, I'm going to say under, I think one team goes, I'm going to take over. I think it's okay. going to be two teams. I, I'm not going to try to pick them though. I would have, no, to, look yeah, at, yeah, I would have to look at all of the, level. <laughs> the, the mapping of the matchups. Um, all right. Well, you know, this is a great tournament because you have a bunch of top 10 teams, Carlton, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, I Is Auburn top 10 right now? They might be. And Michigan might be back into the top 10. I'd have to look. Auburn's nine and Michigan's 10. Well, there you go. So, um, and then you also have a bunch of teams in that middle tier. And then you have a bunch of teams that are like right outside the top 25 that are trying to get in. So that's teams like Cincinnati, uh LSU, possibly Brown, um, and on down the way. So there's just there's a lot to watch for. There's not a lot of like bad teams at this tournament. So I think we're going to get to see. You know, this is going to really define the order for the rest of the year and like how good are these teams. So time to make picks. It's not easy. You have to weigh whether number one ranked Carlton is going to show up and dominate or if they're going to do their usual early season thing which is not play very well so keith you're up first all right uh i've got 
a rematch of probably my favorite pool play game in the final. I've got Minnesota and Auburn in the final. And I've got Minnesota taking the win to start the year. Oof. I'm very impressed by the team that they have this season. The roster looks great on paper. There's a ton of experience, so I don't expect them to come out flat. Uh, and some guys with some with things to prove uh, with the roster turnover they've had as well. So uh, I like them to come out. They typically play pretty well at this tournament. Uh, I think that they are a good systems team too. So I've got Minnesota over Auburn, who's got some experience under their belt this year. We know that this is a talented team. We know that they care about performing well in the regular season. They have a lot of pride in how they play. Uh, I wouldn't say the same for Carlton. I, I expect them to show up in white tanks that they may or may not have cut the sleeves off with scissors two nights ago and spray painted inappropriate graphic images all over. <laughs> uh, now, if Carlton shows up with like real kits, I'm going to be real scared because then they might they That's might go undefeated. What if, what if? Listen. First of all, I totally agree about Minnesota. This team, people are going to focus on Ben Yacht leaving this team. They picked up Cody Wood from Penn State, grad student. Cody Wood was just the center handler for the U.S. men's national team at U24s. All right, so that's huge. And that's on top of having Wyatt Meckler, who I think could be a top three player of the year candidate this year, Tristan Vandemortel, Cole Wallen, Tons of defensive grinders. I love this Minnesota team. I think they're going to be very good yet again. I also have them making the final. But to your point, okay, Carlton's going to play in those sleeveless shirts with the spray paint. Last year, somebody had an old-year-old fake news one. That was a classic. Classic. I hope that's back. I hope that's I, back. I don't know. I feel like you shouldn't overplay maybe, it. But maybe send the field's real news. There you go. There you go. But here's the thing. This team, I think... They like learned how to win together last year. I don't think Joe White played at this tournament last year. Joe White's going to be like one of the best college players this year. I just think the talent is so immense. Like this team won MLC without their U24 players. That's crazy. So are you telling me that they're just going to kind of show up and goof around and not win? It's possible. They do it every year. So why would it be any different? I just think they like are so much better than everybody else that they're just going to win. I think they're going to win. <laughs> I, 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 I I'm taking Carlton over Minnesota. And I know that it makes no sense for me to pick Carlton to the final of warm up because they never, ever, ever go to the final of warm up. But it's different this year. And I think that we're going to see them like win against teams when they're not even having to play that hard. I asked someone in the Slack this week when they when they were discussing Carlton, if you took the ten best players off of Carlton, could they get through quarters at nationals anyway? Wow! <laughs> and the person said yes. So wow, <laughs> take that take that for for whatever it's worth. Wild. Um. So anyway, yeah, that's that's my picks. I've got Carlton over Minnesota. I've got the all-North Central final. Maybe that's a little too bold, considering those teams haven't played outside yet. But I love the rosters. Minnesota's played well historically at this tournament. And Carlton's number one team in the country. So those are my picks. The listener, Nick, he's got Minnesota over Carlton. Woo! I like it. So we've got two Minnesota picks, and all three of us have them making the final. And uh, he also has Carlton going to the final that should be fun. Uh, I, you know, when I sit back and I think about it, I'm like, ooh, man, Auburn or Florida really might make the final. You know, Southeast teams been practicing outside a bunch, dialed in. Weather's going to be absolutely perfect this weekend. Uh, it, it's going to be track meet kind of weather. And perhaps that plays well into Southeast teams' hands. Uh, I like the Auburn pick to the final, Keith. It should be a great weekend. I'm I'm like I said, I'm jealous that you guys are going to be there. I'm really looking forward to the footage coming out. I feel like I end up watching more Florida woman footage than maybe any other tournament uh, because I'm at Stanford invite every year. Uh, but uh, really looking forward to getting into the video pack because I've already been crushing video from these first two tournaments and we're about to add so much. We sure are. 
Uh, we have like 14 games, I think, on tap from warm-up. We might get a couple others because uh, the TD also films games. And then I think we're going to have, I don't know how many it's going to be at the end of the day, probably uh, 10 to 12 games from Prez Day. And if things go right, we're also going to be filming at Eastern's Qualifier this weekend, um, which you know we're not even going to really talk about here, but is an important tournament, obviously, for qualification for Eastern's, but also just in the bid battle uh, on the East Coast. That'll be happening in North Myrtle Beach. So... Uh, yeah, the film the film study is real. If you haven't yet, get yourself a team pack. It, you've got three days left to get a discount on the team pack. It's an awesome deal this year. Uh, if you're just uh, just a fan, just a listener at home, you can of course subscribe anytime. It's just uh, twelve ninety nine a month to get access to all of our footage, and uh, the, the the college footage has been good so far, and we're, we've got tons coming in over the next few weeks. It's it's a great time if you like to watch Ultimate because it's a it's just rife with good quality teams playing each other, especially uh, what we're going to have after this. I, have in fact, have a film session uh, with my team Emery in a few hours where we're going to watch some footage from uh, our video pack. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Deep Look. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Keith Rayner. He's 32 years old, he thinks. I'm Charlie Eisenhood. I'm still just 29, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.